This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 120. My name is Armin, joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Um, it's been a busy few days for the Leafs, and I guess for the NHL uh, as a whole. So we have a lot to get to, don't we? Yes, we do. And thanks to everyone who said, hey, when are you guys going to record? It's just nice to feel wanted. We tried to position ourselves so we would hopefully be at the end of the series of transactions Cal Dubas was going to make, but he keeps doing more stuff. And... Always at like 11.59 p.m. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, he loves doing that shit. He's a wild man. But also, I doubt he's entirely done. I, doubt, I think he's done with major moves, such as they are. But he has a lot of bodies, especially on defense, and he could just try and throw them all in and see what sticks. But... I kind of get the impression he's got one or two more moves in him. So this might be a little tentative, but he's certainly done enough to fill an episode for us. So, yeah, here we go. All right, so let's start. Um, We're going to go kind of roughly in order of importance, or, you know, order of importance as we see it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with uh, TJ Brody. So we signed TJ Brody to a four-year, $5 million per year contract uh, with a no-move clause this year and a no-trade clause afterwards. Um, like many of the contracts we're seeing, it's backloaded in terms of salary because escrow is going to be larger this year. So this will pr- put more money in Brody's pocket, essentially, assuming the NHL and, you know, North America and the world at large recovers somewhat soon from, you know, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's worth noting that Brody does not need to be protected in the expansion draft next year. And the no trade clause becomes modified in the fourth year of that contract um, to become less restrictive. So there's an opportunity to move him before the fourth year um, if we want. Like, the, the no-trade clause shouldn't be that restrictive at that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Fulman, what were your thoughts when the Leafs signed TJ Brody? I was very whelmed. This is my line on Twitter, was that I was neither underwhelmed nor overwhelmed, but whelmed. It was good. It's basically the best move that you probably could have expected the Leafs to make in free agency to shore up their obvious position of weakness, other than signing Alex Petrangelo. And Kyle Dubas did meet with Petrangelo, but it sounds like it was kind of a, hey, how you doing? We're really interested in you, but we don't have any money. Can you accept $3? Yeah. (laughs) How do you feel about being paid in Monopoly money? And Petrangelo said, oh gosh, that's really flattering. I just have to take this call. And then he never came back. And so with that out of the way, TJ Brody is probably about as good as we were going to do. Yeah, it's hard to see an obvious move that is better. Like, like short of, again, win a trade or something. You know, there wasn't really a better alternative that I could see out there than Brody. Yeah, you know, there were other options. You can say Tory Krug is a better overall defenseman, maybe, than TJ Brody. But one, he he plays the wrong side. And two, he's primarily known for his power play contributions. And as we have discussed ad nauseum on the Leafs, we already have a guy who can do that at a pretty competent level. So we don't really feel like we need to, you know, pay through the gills for a power play quarterback. Um, Brody, yeah, as discussed, shoots left, but plays right. He's played a lot of time with Mark Giordano. And if you have qualms about him, maybe that's where you start because the two of them together have put up great results. But Mark Giordano is one of the best defensemen of the last few years, and he has a Norris to show for it. 
And so there's some concern that Geo might have been carrying TJ Brody and that Brody is going to look somewhat worse when he's with the admirable but not on the level with Giordano, Morgan Riley. And so we try to separate those things out, or at least smart people who are good at math. I don't try, I just listen to them. But they try to work out the isolated value of TJ Brody, and he still looks quite good. It can be a little hard when two players have played so much of their time together. Because for a while, Giordano and Brody were practically stapled at the hip. A little less this past season, but still, that was his primary partner by far. Right, and, and I've, I've made this comment both in articles and on this podcast where, you know, no amount of fancy math can ever, you know, get around a lack of data, right? Mm -hmm. And if, you know, two guys play literally 100% of their time together, you cannot really determine who's doing what, right? Um, so, as you said, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite that stark this year for Brody. He did spend some time with, um, with Michael Stone mm -hmm. and with Travis Hamanick. But, you know, the majority of his time certainly was with Giordano. And, you know, you go back years and years, and this is generally the case. 2018-2019 um, was similar. Spent, you know, a few games here and there with Michael Stone, a few games here and there with Noah Hannafin, a few games here and there with um, Dalton Prout, who is a player, not <laughs> someone I made up. Um, Probably. <laughs> uh, you, you go back to 17-18 and 16-17, and th these were years where, 17-18 in particular, where Brody did not appear to have a very good year by these isolated measures. And perhaps a little worryingly, those were the years he was not primarily with Giordano in 1718. He was primarily with Travis Hamannick, um, almost entirely. Spent some time with Michael Stone, almost no time with Giordano at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and then 1617, he was with, uh, let me check here, was with a combination of Dennis Weidman, Michael Stone, Derek uh, Engeland, and a little bit of Giordano. You have so, to admit, it hasn't been really like a murderer's row after Giordano. No, aside from Giordano, like, I mean, everyone else he's played with has been, like, pretty meh at yeah. best. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there, there's a couple things worth noting here. Um, the Generally speaking, Brody has been a rather good um, defenseman, defenseman by the metrics that we have. Whether you look at RAPM and isolated threat and, you know, the all-in-one um, total measures of value, like wins above replacement. Um, and I have my issues with wins above replacement, especially in how it addresses um, special teams, because I think that's really, really hard to assess independent of scheme. Mm -hmm. But, you know, putting my qualms with that aside, Brody has been a good player over the last few years. Right. Um, and, you know, it's worth mentioning that he is replacing a very low bar on that right-hand side. And, you know, whatever, whoever of Tyson Berry and Cody Cece was playing with Morgan Riley at the time, they both were not very good. Yeah. Right? So, so you know, Brody does not have to be Eric Carlson over here. Right? He, he has to be a competent player. And if he is, we've added quite a bit of value at a position that's going to be playing quite a lot. So in that sense, it's a solid signing that's really hard to you know hard to nitpick that much although i'm sure we're going to try yeah i mean the bottom line here is kyle dubas needed to do something to improve the top four he took probably the best realistic free agency option and so having done that you know in comparing what he did to what we think he should have done on this score i don't find much to criticize yes. i think 
he took the best option. And I'm not saying I think TJ Brody is a lock to fix everything that ails the Leafs by any means. But I think that their top four is better uh, after the signing than it was before it by a notable amount. And that's probably all I can reasonably hope for. And the deal is, again, there's always risk signing players who are 30 or older. But I think that it's about as reasonable a bet as you could make, and so I have no problem with it whatsoever. Right. This is similar to the Jake Muzzin deal for me in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. I think Muzzin is, is a little bit better than, than Brody. It's a bit unfair because I'm kind of just scouting the stat line for Brody. I've, I've watched him a handful of times, but certainly not enough to get a really good sense of him as a player. Um, but yeah, the Muzzin deal, and we talked about this in February or whenever it was signed, <clears throat> was... It's, it's a good deal. Like, Muzzin is good right now, and we need good players right now because, you know, unless you have a train of 23-year-old super prospects coming up, which we don't, um, you, ha- you cannot possibly, you know, avoid paying money to good players who happen to be 30. Right. You, know, right? you like can't shake yourself out of that market entirely. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it'd be great too, but that, you know, the best way to get, you know, a train of 23-year-old prospects is to have a time machine, and we don't. So, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, yeah. with Muslim, there's some risk, right? Because there are injury concerns as players get older. There are aging concerns as players get older. And I think it was four-year deals for both. Um, so, you know, those last years, yeah, they, they, could, they could get bad, right? Things could happen there. They could fall off early. Um, but it's really hard to avoid that risk, frankly, mm-hmm. right? It, I think it's near impossible to avoid that risk when you play in this market, which, when you are trying to acquire a top four defenseman, which the Leafs had to do, again, they're, Top four right defenseman last year. Um, you know, Justin Hall was serviceable. Not great in that role, but serviceable. You can go in with him next year and you're not completely embarrassed. But wh- whoever was in the top side of that playing with Riley, it was, it was an absolute disaster. Right? Yeah. And we needed to fix that. So, yeah, this is what we have to do. You have to address it somehow. There's no perfect silver bullet solution. Right? There's downsides to everything. Um, so... Yeah, I think this was really one of the better reasonable options for, for Kyle Dubas. Probably yeah. the best. I, could, I can't think of a better one off the top of my head. Um, it's not completely foolproof, but nothing ever is. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's good. I did try to do a little bit of reading on just like what kind of player is this guy. And I got a lot of sort of very moderate positive stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like the reason that I feel so okay, satisfied with this deal, is that that seems to be the general tenor of the commentary, which is that he's a good defensive defenseman, makes a good first pass, he's not huge, he's not small, he's not hyper-physical, but he's a little physical. You know, it seems like he's a a perfectly serviceable, maybe serviceable is a bit too low, but like a perfectly decent top four defenseman who plays on the right side, and that's good. And that's more than I expected out of, say, Sammy Vatanen, who I don't really trust to be all that mm-hmm. good or any of the guys down the list on free agency. So all of that's good. I did see one comment that said, uh, and, and you know, take this with immense grains of salt, but it just stuck in my head. It said that TJ Brody, you know, is a good player, all that stuff, but sometimes makes plays reminiscent of Jake Gardner. And, uh, Anyone who's listened to this podcast back in the day knows that Arvin and I are card-carrying members of the Jake Gardner fan club. But holy sweet Maria, was there a lot of bickering in this fan base about some of the plays that Jake Gardner made. So we could be in for some fun times. But, I mean, I feel like this, this is the scouting report on every, you know, second parish guy. Like, good yeah. second parish guy. It's like, oh yeah, I know he's good, but he'll sometimes fuck up. 
It's true. Um, like it's probably the corollary okay, cool. of that that He's remark about um, third pair wingers, where it's like you're mostly going to remember them failing to convert on scoring chances. Well, second pair guys who move the puck, you'll mostly remember them for their big mistakes that they make. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the other one thing I want to discuss, and I kind of want to discuss this for for most of the contracts that and most of the moves that, that we're going to make is, you know, how we could possibly be wrong about our call here, mm-hmm. right? So, like, we think this is a good signing. It's, it's you know, a necessary one. Um, how could it go badly, right? And there's, you know, obvious catch-all answers that we're not going to really address. Like, okay, yeah, like, you know, Brody could trip over his dog tomorrow and, you know, severely injure himself, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, we're talking, I guess, more in the hockey valuation side of things. And, and I'd say there's, I guess, two concerns, and they're both fairly minor, because, again, you're not going to get a perfect solution. Um, the first is that, generally speaking, uh, Giordano, or sorry, Brody's impacts are quite good, but the years away from Giordano, they were worse. Right. And because he spent so much time with Giordano in the years where he was primarily playing with Giordano, um, there, I, I do have a mild concern. Like, okay, I, I mean, I'm not sure quite how well that these models are um, assessing his context specifically. Right? Uh, especially given that we know these can change quite heavily year to year. And, you know, for, for a really fun example, take a look at Phil Kessel's RAPM and um, isolated threat as he's changed teams. They, they jump so much, especially on the defensive end. Like last year, apparently, Phil Kessel was good, or not good, it was average defensively. And I just don't believe that. No, I don't think that's a thing that's ever happened in Phil Kessel's life, ever. Like probably at Pee Wee, he was like kind of slacking on the back check. So. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, uh, Brody's impacts and his overall effectiveness, both offensively and defensively, they jump around a bit year to year. And it's, it's been kind of a weird thing where some years he's very good offensively and not very good defensively. And some years he's very good defensively, not very good offensively. And then last year he was both. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of variance there and that's a little unusual. And it makes me feel that maybe there's some team effects or some team context that's not really being captured there. And the changes in those are what's driving kind of the impact and goals above replacement readings for, for Brody uh, year to year. I don't know that that's the case. Um, and my, my typical you know, instinct is to generally trust these as a decent marker of a player's ability. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still doing that here, but there's a couple things that are a little um, concerning to me. Right. I, I, yeah, and, you know, as you said, the bottom line problem is his best years were his Giordano years. And his other years or his other time periods are less impressive. And so we're about probably to find out how he looks with whatever you think of Morgan Riley at this stage of the game, you know, probably a great offensive, not so great defensive defenseman. And he's also going to be on a team that has heretofore not shown a lot of acumen on the defensive side of the puck. Well, there could be a lot of (laughs) ways that this could possibly go, but all of that said, you know, you're never going to eliminate that uncertainty with pretty much any player. Like they don't exist to provide us with perfect samples with different teammates and different teams and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. So especially the sub elite level players, right? You, you know, we can be pretty confident that say Elias Patterson is really, really good, but yeah, with guys like TJ Brody, there's going to be a range for the results. The best we can say is we got a guy who looks like he could be pretty good at the thing that we need the most. And that's mm-hmm. about all you can hope to do. Unless again, let's go win a home run trade. Yeah, so. as a side note, I think um, Jake Muzzin fit in so beautifully, right, as, as 
Like, he was pretty much exactly as we desired. You know, he, he came in with this reputation of, okay, tough, good defensively, um, good, uh, really actual, g- good enough at moving the puck, mm-hmm. uh, reasonably uh, decent, you know, on, in that sense. But, you know, the, the real calling card is uh, just how good he is defensively, right? Like, he actually, like, he stands in the right spot. He ties people up. He makes the right play. He wins board battles. And that's... It was so kind of stunning to see that at first, right? And that, that, that was a concern I had with him too, right? Of like, oh, you know, we know that Muzzin has these good numbers, but they're coming in that L.A. factory of weirdness. And how is that going to translate? It translated very well with him. That's true. Right? And, and we, we hope it does the same with, Bear, with Brody. Sorry, not with Barry. <laughs> Never speak that name here again. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, I, you know, I guess our bottom line on this is that he seems like a guy who's going to do the job well, who doesn't have a lot of really pronounced weaknesses, who has a respectable stat profile, even if there are some caveats about how you got the data. Lay all of that out, and again, I think you come to, okay, it's not a miracle move, but you can't really anticipate those happening unless one mm-hmm. falls into your lap. Beyond that, it's a good move. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think even, I said, like, you know, those are my concerns. I, not even concern. I think concerns is even too strong a word. Those are my questions, I suppose. That's yeah. it. Like, it, it's, generally speaking, I, I think he will be fine. Um, so one thing that's interesting, we were rumored to be, well, not rumored, it was, I guess, almost confirmed that we had almost traded for TJ Brody last year. Nassim mm-hmm. Kadri was supposed to go to Calgary for Brody and Mark Jankowski. Um, and you and I didn't like that trade at the time. So what has changed for us? Well, for one, Kerfoot is a lot better than Mark Jankowski. And it's not all that close, even if you have reservations about Alex Kerfoot. I actually like Jankowski a little bit. Uh, I like Jankowski as a potential fourth line center. I think Kerfoot well, yeah, is Yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. the thing. Jankowski has no offense. Yeah, and I want a little bit of that. And I know that Kerfoot hasn't always hit it out of the park, but I think he's just a better player. Mm-hmm. Um, by, by a decent margin, if you ask me. So, yeah, I mean, that's most of how I feel about the deal. If you just compare it Brody to Barry, even at the time, I would have considered that closer. Um, certainly now. You know, with benefit of hindsight, I much prefer the idea of Brody. I think it's fascinating that Brody apparently blocked a trade to Toronto with a no trade. Wasn't it Kadri who blocked or, it? Or Kadri blocked it, but apparently Brody had Toronto on one of his okay. teams he did not seek to be traded to. That's as per James Myrtle. And apparently he got over that, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I do find that he's, interesting. He's a Toronto guy. Yeah, and I mean, you know, maybe he thought we got a good thing going in Calgary. Uh, they were, you know, coming off a good year, and then this most recent year hasn't been so great. It might be one of those things where he just wanted to avoid a team that would have a, a need for him and just didn't want to be traded generally, right? Like, mm-hmm. you don't you don't need to put Nashville on your no-trade list if you're a defenseman. Yeah, right. Uh, very much so. And, you know, Toronto would be an obvious candidate to acquire him. And so, you know, we may also have been the highest bidder, I don't know, Yes. Uh, on this contract, but... Yeah, you know, I, again, it's like he's a perfectly reasonable option. He's not a number one defenseman. Those are hard to get. And so, yeah, with the strictures that we were working under, I'm pretty happy. Right. So there's a couple of things to me that have changed a little bit with um, with Brody over the last few years. I keep thinking that every time I'm about to say Brody, I'm like, Barry. Mm. Right? It's, it's very annoying. Um that's just the similarity of their names, not with their game or anything. Um, so, 17-18, as we covered, was a really, really poor year for Brody. Uh, in the sense that 
you know, he wasn't played with, with Giordano that year, and his numbers just weren't very good. Right? Like, he didn't really carry play. The, the Flames were, you know, a little bit underwater when he was, when he was on the ice, really. Mm-hmm. And there was some weakness defensively. And that concerned me. And then in 2018-2019, he had a good defensive year, but then the offense completely dried up for whatever reason. And he was with Giordano that year, but mm-hmm. uh, they didn't generate uh, very many good shots. It seems like they were taking too many shots as like defensemen, right? Or too many shots from far out. So that was the year we were, that we were like kind of looking into uh, when we were evaluating him. And it seemed to me anyways that, okay, he has had two years where there were kind of quite significant questions about... Um, his play driving and how well he's doing, one with Giordano and one without Giordano. Um, it's worth noting that RAPM actually disagrees with isolated threat on his 2018-2019 um, and, and says he was you know a little bit above average that year. Uh, but their 17-18 w- was genuinely bad. So mm-hmm. that was my concern. And then he's kind of addressed that by having a perhaps the best year of his career last season. Mm-hmm. Right? And that kind of puts a damper on the oh he's declining because it's like okay well clearly he can't be declining that much because he was part of something that was quite successful there right both in terms of um getting rid of shots against getting rid of quality shots against it it was a really complete year for him and you know he he actually was very high in terms of plus minus and goals for as well right so it's it's not you don't have that concern of oh or is the underlying not matching the actual results so that 2019-2020 season has i think has gone a long way to addressing my concerns it does get into the variance that I was talking about before, year to year. But, you know, our best guess of what Brody is going to be is, you know, someone who is certainly a lot better than Cody CC or Tyson Berry in the role that we need them to be in. Mm-hmm. So, all things considered, good piece of work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we may not be quite as unrelentingly positive about <laughs> some of the other moves. Or maybe we'll just be confused. Yes. Um, so, I guess this is probably a good time to talk about uh, one of our other moves. And Foodman, I'll let, I'll let you choose in this case who, who we're going to discuss. My boy Wayne. Wayne Simmons. All right. Um, go for it. <laughs> go for so, it. Wayne Simmons was at one point one of the premier power forwards in the NHL. You know, real crease crasher, good guy, can help your power play, knows where to stand. Um, has a certain amount of grit. Tenacity, stick-to-itiveness, all those good things. Beloved in the community, beloved by fans, heart and soul player. Only good things to say about him. And he looked like one of those guys who is both reputed to be good based on his grit and actually is really good. But that was a few years ago, unfortunately. Um, He's had a rough couple of years. He's been plagued by injuries up to a point. He hasn't missed much time, but he's played through a lot by his own account. And his results have declined. He's not at all a top six player anymore. He used to be, you know, a guy that you could comfortably say first line winger Wayne Simmons. Now he's a lot more like generously third line winger Wayne Simmons. And you could certainly dispute that in terms of his performance. Oh, I will. Yeah. (laughs) Harvin's going to do so. And we paid him $1.5 million for one year. Now, as you may have noticed... Uh, 1.5 million is more than the typical bargain bin buy. Uh, it's more than the variable amount of salary, which is 1.075 million. So even if the Leafs end up waiving him, which would be a sign things have really gone to shit. I don't think they're planning on it, but we'd still have 
400 grand or so against the cap. And for a team that is squeezed like we are, uh, that's a meaningful difference. I think it's pretty clear that in pursuing Wayne Simmons, Kyle Dubas is making a nod to a lot of the things that maybe stats people have kind of hand-waved away in mm-hmm. recent years. Simmons brings physicality. He'll fight if he wants to. He, he said explicitly he feels like part of his job is to look out for uh, the stars uh, in sort of the old enforcer role that is sort of dying away. But he'll bring in energy to the room. He'll set standards in terms of work and willingness to go to the dirty areas. All of that intangible stuff that I think we're at least cautious about because we can't measure it. But I have to admit, and this is me owning some imbalance here, I really like Wayne Simmons. He's from Scarborough, so I have to like him, you know? (laughs) And yeah, he's... um, the kind of guy that it's hard not to want on your team in the abstract, even if you know kind of rationally, is he worth 1.5 million? That's a bit debatable at this point in his career. But I have to admit, it's the kind of mistake that I want to indulge, which is more than I can say for some other things that may have happened. Uh, And so I know intellectually this is probably too much money for him. And then on another level, I really want to believe in this move that he's going to right. add some sort of secret ingredient. What do you think? Yeah. So I guess <clears throat> I'm trying to be fairly nuanced about this. I'll, I'll say off the top, I don't think this was the best move we could have made. And with the caveat that we don't know what the other options were. You know, we don't know what other free agents wanted to come here. We don't know what their demands would have been in terms of playing time, in terms of spot in the lineup, in terms of salary, whatever. Um, But I think there were better options on the table. So, and I'll be specific about those better options. I think uh, Vinny Hinostrosa, who signed, I think, one year, one million in Florida, would have been a very, very good depth center for us. Uh, Johan Larson, who signed one year 1.4, I believe, in Arizona, of all places, um, would have been a really, really strong defensive um, center slash winger for, for the Leafs. You could move him or Kerfoot uh, to the wing as you would prefer. Um, and I think they would have added a bit more. There was, a bit more exp- there was someone who's a bit more expensive in Alex Wenberg, who I think signed for two years and maybe two million, something like that. Um, and that's, that's a little bit more of a, a stretch and... Wenberg is a guy who I happen to like um, as, again, another good defensive center eligible player who can provide some depth um, and, you know, spent a lot of time in a very defensive system and has succeeded there with his time in uh, Columbus. So I think there were better options on the table. That said, I see the appeal of Simmons, right? And there's a couple key questions here, I think. As you said, I think this is a nod to the idea that toughness or character, whatever we want to call it, that it matters, that the makeup of the team matters, um, and that you want to have different style players on the team in depth roles. You want to have leaders on the team who will have the attention of players like Matthews and Nylander and and Marner and Morgan Riley and whatnot. This is a nod to the direction that those sorts of things matter. And this is something you brought up to me as well when we were chatting about this offline, is that if you were going to add those sorts of characters and those sorts of, of qualities to your team, this is the way to do it, right? You're not spending four, or four years on Matt Martin. You're not trading Nylander for, you know, some Dave Boland reincarnate. You're not 
um, trading for Josh Anderson and signing him, <laughs> as some other nameless teams uh, have done. Um, so it, it, it's reasonable. You, you are paying a premium for that Wayne Simmons brand. Right. Right? You, you absolutely are. There, there's on ice, it's really not clear that Wayne Simmons right now is better than, you know, Heaton Estrosa, Larson, whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Wayne Simmons is also going to command respect in the room in a way that Johan Larson will not. Yeah, probably not. And so when I was looking at this, I sort of took an attitude of like, okay, Hart likes to deal, head's a bit leery of it. But if I were retained as counsel for Kyle Dubas and I had to justify this to my legions of adoring stats fans who are suddenly like, hey man, what the hell? I would say something like this. You would say, okay, as Arvin just said, it's not like I've given up on the team construction. I didn't trade Nylander for Skittles. You know, I held on to the skill core. I'm still drafting players with an eye towards skill, with a remarkable unconcern for how big they are. You know, I'm still sticking with the program. The stat nerds have still won in the larger sense of how are the Toronto Maple Leafs going to be built. But they can be right, mostly right, about how you build a team and not 100% right. You know, you can say there is just a tiny bit of value for having these guys in the room, for having toughness, for adding these things on the ice, for all of those things that the 200 hockey men, so to speak, have always said are very important, that players have talked about as being important. And even if that's a placebo effect, mostly, that means something. And so it doesn't have to be that much of an adjustment mentally to say, okay, maybe Wayne Simmons is worth a little premium. Because again, it's not revising the team structure. It's adding a guy who brings these things and paying a little more for him, sure, but not breaking up the whole system to do it. Right. And it's worth note, like this is maybe a little bit more than Simmons is worth. It's not a overwhelming contract in general. One year, 1.5 million with a no trade clause. It was originally reported as a no move clause. Um, and that was revised to a no trade clause, which is better for the Leafs, obviously, because they can, you know, waive him if things really go badly. Although I sincerely hope that does not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things I want to mention, I guess, with respect to the other options, right? We have to be very, very careful when we say, oh, why didn't we sign X guy or Y guy? Um, because as, as I alluded to, we don't know all the realities of it. Um, it's worth noting that we need to be careful about overstating like oh this depth guy is so much better than this other depth guy right mm-hmm. and that's what all of these guys who i'm talking about are at this point um there's a lot of variance there and there's there's a lot of um situations where the team context and team construction makes a difference right and you can get more out of a player than um they got in another nhl team because of the way your roster is set up or because of your team or because of your system or whatever right like we I, I, I firmly do not believe that we have managed to isolate hockey player value to the point where it's completely additive. And I don't think hockey player value works like that in general. I think it's always going to be team and context dependent, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, that stuff matters. Now, that said, guys like Larson and Hinostroza, why I like them is because they have quite solid results, especially defensively, while not really being sheltered in terms of competition and also not having very good line mates. They're very interesting players as a result. Yeah, and we talked they, a bit they... about Johan Larson in that context because he played top lines for the Sabres, <laughs> and the Sabres are not playing the game on easy mode because, as you mentioned, many of the players on the Sabres are bad, notwithstanding they did just add a very good one in a wild free agency move. But, yeah, you know, there was a lot to recommend him. And it's, you know, I, I do feel like 
I'm trying to thread a needle here where I'm saying, okay, maybe I'll allow some space in my head for that old school stuff. But at the same time, I don't think people were just uh, dressing up Johan Larson as something he wasn't. You know, it's not just, okay, look at the Corsi superstar. He did the hard work and he did it well. And and he's, I think, he's like, yeah. I mean, Larson's a guy I actually have watched because, you know, I watched a decent amount of Buffalo um, because I, I hate myself. <laughs> um, we got to no, talk about your choices, man. Yeah, and, but he's like just genuinely a good defensive player. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's not soft. He, he's thick. He weighs actually quite a bit more than Wayne Simmons. Mm-hmm. Right. Simmons is a, is a surprisingly skinny guy. He doesn't play it, but he's, he's very, very thin. Yeah. Um, and, and Larson's like, he's a thick boy. He's hard to move. Mm-hmm. He's on you. Right, like he—he's he, a tough dude. I, I think he gets a you know the rap of okay, cool Swedish, uh, European guy probably floats around a little bit. If he's good defensively, it's because of his offensive skill. No, no, Larson's just genuinely defensive. He has no offensive skill. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean those are options I would have liked more. Not always going to be possible to get them. Um, I actually mentioned I actually have on my short list here in my notes that like even Mark Jankowski would be interesting. More interesting to me than, than Wayne Simmons in terms of his on-ice play to the Leafs. Because right now, I think Simmons is a fourth-line guy, pretty much. Um, and so I mentioned one question was, like, you know, whether this toughness stuff matters. The other question as it relates to Simmons is how much did his reported injuries and his reported health now change the equation? Like, is, is he in the best shape of his career or... You know, is he finally recovered from these injuries? And these are things we hear all the time from, you know, 30-year-old forwards who are on a decline. And, you know, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But Dubas has mentioned that specifically. Um, Simmons and his agent have mentioned that specifically. Does that mean we can expect perhaps a little bit more of an improvement on his results over the last three years? Because his results over the last three years are pretty poor. Right. And you mentioned to me when we were talking about this, that, you know, all these things are great. But New Jersey thought they were getting them, too. And now, granted, everything went to hell in New Jersey last year. Everyone looked pretty bad. But still, he wasn't able to provide that kind of value for them. Now, that said, if you want to believe in Wayne Simmons, and believe me, I do, as it's probably become apparent, you can make maybe a more credible argument for best shape of his, well, recent life, um, compared to just every other guy who signs in his 30s. Because Wayne Simmons... One, had those lingering injury issues, but two, he's not going to have had to play a game between March and whenever the league starts again in maybe January, which means that's probably the most time he's had to, one, rehab any lingering injuries, but two, to work on training, getting in the best possible shape without the grind of an NHL season. That's the most time he's going to have had probably since he was a teenager. Right. And so if there's... Any room to improve there to, you know, kind of get things back in order. He's probably got a golden opportunity now, and maybe you can hope for a bit more there. I know Timu Solani, who is obviously uh, a Hall of Fame caliber player, but he talked about how missed time from the, the lockout actually enabled him to continue his career because he had time to rehab the injuries that he would have had to try and play through or return early from. If, again, if you want to you know, chalk up something in Simmons' favor for why he'll be better than the results look, you can point to that rehab time. Right. And I also, again, I, I want to be very careful about not overstating my case here. Yeah. Simmons is absolutely still an NHL player. Like, I'm right. not saying, oh, this guy should be in the AHL or he's terrible. Like, he, he is a NHL player, 
Mm-hmm. He hasn't been a particularly good NHL player for a little bit, but he belongs in an NHL lineup somewhere. We're not paying him that much money. This is... I, I have issues with this contract, but this con- my issues with this contract are limited to, I think we could have done better, not I think this is a massive problem. Yeah. It's not a massive problem. Like, I want to be very, very clear about that. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, even if you think that it's not great, and, you know, money does matter, absolutely for the Leafs. I don't think anyone's in denial about that at this point in time. But if you want to allow room for reasonable doubt, if you want to put trust that Kyle Dubas has correctly identified the needs of this team, you can say, look, it only needs to be half a million or so worth of additional value for this to be good. We're not counting on a total miracle here to make this contract worthwhile. So, yes. yeah. Uh, again, it's it's probably a bit more than on ice stuff would suggest that it's worth, but all the stuff that you want to believe in uh, regarding Wayne Simmons, now is your chance. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll briefly talk about Simmons as a player a bit here, right? Because as you said, in his prime, he, he, he was that prototypical example, along with um, guys like Jamie Benn or Jerome McGinley. And those are better versions of Simmons, to be clear. But, um, you know, that prototypical example of a guy who could outscore you and then beat you up. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't, you know, regularly watch the video of him beating the shit out of Anthony, De- Anthony D'Angelo. And <laughs> I enjoy it every single time. I've made about 35 YouTube accounts to like it on each one. <laughs> Um, uh, blame Simmons is, yeah, Simmons' value as a player is, in terms of the online stuff, it was largely his individual shot generation and scoring in his prime, along with you know his ability to get good shots in tight um, for himself and his line mates, right? right? Like creating that chaos in front, right? Not really a great transition guy, not really a great passer. Defensive numbers aren't bad, but they're not outstanding either. And he, you know, at this point in his career, he's certainly not a shutdown winger or anything like that. Um, his last few years. We've started to see that decline, and I think it's pretty traceable to his shot rate has started to decline. He's getting fewer shots, fewer shots from in tight than he used to. Accordingly, his play driving has declined because they were his play driving has, was largely driven by his ability to get those shots, those high-value shots for himself and his team, mm-hmm. right? And perhaps more concerning, well, this could be seen either way, either as concerning or a potential reason for optimism. He can't seem to convert much anymore. His shooting percentage has been really, really poor when you consider the quality of his shots over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether that is systemic, whether that is a decline. Normally, shooting percentage is one of, you know, that doesn't go that easily. Because if you have skill, you still have skill. You know, it might be harder to get to those positions, but when you get there, you're still the same guy. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, So I'm interested to see if Dubas thinks that's a cause for optimism. If he's like, okay, you know, if he... He's had bad numbers the last few years, but that's because he's been shooting really crappy. And, you know, he hasn't been playing on great offensive teams the last few years uh, since he's left Philly. So maybe there's a reason for optimism when we get him uh, in a more up-tempo, skilled environment where he has more guys to carry the the puck into the zone for him and get the puck to the front of the net for him. And he has to just, you know, bang away and do what he can there. Um, so if there's something fixable there, that's great. But this poor run of shooting has really, really hampered his ability as a player because now he's getting fewer shots from in tight and he's also converting fewer of them. And that's really the value proposition of Wayne Simmons as a player was I will get lots of shots from in tight and I will score. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened as much. Um, he still does, you know, the physical aspect. He still, you know, fights when he needs to. All that, st- all that stuff is still there, right? right? 
Um, but as a player, that's kind of what I've seen as the, as the main decline uh, over the last few years. And Simmons is a guy who I've been interested in for quite a bit. I wrote an article about him back in 2018, I think, uh, about you know, whether we should acquire him from the Flyers. And um, I, I talked to Annie, our, our resident Flyers fan on, on the site, and she, like pretty much every Flyers fan who I know, absolutely loves Wayne Simmons. And we kind of both independently came to the same conclusion, which is, I love the guy, but probably not. Now, that was a trade, right? And Simmons would have acquired, would have cost a lot more in a trade back then, mm-hmm. when he hadn't had multiple years of bad results, when, um, you know, you're trading for him as opposed to signing him as a pretty cheap free agent. Uh, this is a different equation, right? Mm-hmm. But there's still some concern to me about whether Wayne Simmons is a particularly good player in a death row. I think he'll be fine there, but I'm not sure we're capturing a lot of excess value on that. And I guess when you look at the team as a cohesive unit, the reason you pay lots of money to these star forwards up front is because they pack a lot of wins into one roster spot. And you're constrained by roster spots in the NHL. You want to get as many wins as possible, and everyone, let's say, spends the same amount of money, which is the salary cap, right? Obviously not true. Some teams spend more, or some teams spend less, rather. No one spends more. Um, but, you know, you're trying to maximize the number of wins you get. That is not the same as maximizing the number of dollars per win, because the types of contracts that are very, very high in terms of dollars per win, or very, very low in terms of dollars per win, you're, you're paying very little for however many wins you get, wins per dollar, I should say, um, high wins per dollar, are those tend to be contracts for guys who are very very cheap so elcs or you know depth guys who are overperforming their station right or, or rfas mid-level rfas and, and high-level rfas who you're underpaying wonder what that's like <laughs> so the leafs have all these really really expensive contracts um yeah. for matthews for nylander for marner for Tavares, and those guys are very good they're providing us lots of wins they're not necessarily providing us a lot of wins for every dollar but they're packing a ton of wins into those roster spots and that, because you can't build an entire team out of low-cost, high-win players, because those players don't provide enough wins, right? That's a team full of good third-liners, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, the team-building strategy that the Leafs have is really to pack wins into those top parts of the lineup and be efficient elsewhere. Right. And I'm not sure Simmons is going to be efficient. Yeah. I mean, this can be kind of... I feel like I, I meandered a bit there. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I, you know, you can kind of boil it down to, okay, you're paying a hell of a lot of money for whatever you think Miss Varner and them bring, that's fine. But then you can't indulge the risk of overestimating too many other players. You know what I mean? If you've overestimated and overpaid Mitch Marner, and I think we did, then that cuts into your margin to overestimate and overpay other people. And then Simmons, you say, well, it's a minor overpayment because the numbers involved are so low and the overestimation involved has so much uncertainty about it. Maybe he really is worth it. And I'd like to think that it, he was. I would say, you know, if he signed with another team or if this were someone that maybe I haven't liked as long as I have Wayne Simmons, I'd probably be more skeptical about it. So we're kind of hoping for some Wayne magic here. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he, he seems like a great guy. And, you know, he, he plays a fun kind of hockey. So. Absolutely. He's, he's, yeah, very, very much so. So, yeah, that, it, it's really less the deal and more the cohesion with the rest of the team building strategy that... I find a little questionable, right? And again, how can we be wrong about this? Well, I can misevaluate Simmons. Mm-hmm. If Simmons is, you know, a 0.5 win player instead of a 0.1 win player, and 0.1 wins is what Dom Lachishan's model projects him to be worth next year, 
But if he's worth more than that, then yeah, this is a fine deal then. Absolutely yeah. fine. Right? Um, so that that's the easiest way I could be wrong. The other easiest way is I'm undervaluing the knock-on effect of toughness and leadership and all that stuff that Simmons brings. And the Leafs seem to want this specifically, and we'll get into this with Bogosian as well. Mm-hmm. And if you take it as a given that they should add this, then there isn't an obviously better move available, right? Because Simmons is that guy who he can still play a little bit, and he does provide you all of that leadership and character and toughness. And it, you know, it's worth mentioning that Simmons is one of the few black players in the NHL, mm-hmm. playing now for a very marquee team, um, part of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, done a ton of work with the Snyder family, who owns the Flyers, um, in Philly to work with underprivileged youth and with black uh, black youth as well, and getting them into hockey. You know, that that's something that matters in a, in a city as diverse as Toronto, where we're increasingly seeing, you know, Toronto proper, not shift towards the Raptors at the expense of the Leafs, but certainly the Raptors have become way more popular, in the, and basketball has become way more popular, and it's hard to overlook the uh, demographic aspects of that and the diversity of basketball with respect to hockey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think that all of that's legitimate. And it is probably worth noting, you know, uh, when someone comes into the locker room and says, okay, guys, we got to get our shit together. Well, the guy who comes in and has a 57% Corsi but is not really that well-known, that doesn't have the same effect as Wayne Simmons, you know, veteran performer, guy who's done it all. You know, like, he's someone who has that level of credibility, and that's hard to measure, but... Vinny Hinostroza, he's saying... Like, hey, Matthews, get your shit together. Right. Probably has, you know, less chance of succeeding than Wayne Simmons saying the same thing. Right. And again, I'm going way into the weeds here. This is the sellout podcast for me where I just uh, unveil myself as a true hockey man in heart. But, like, when Garrett Sparks, way back when, made those comments about, like, everyone has to be better. Well, he was the backup goalie. And you don't have a level of credibility. It's a credibility he wasn't, even, he wasn't even playing well with the backup goalie. Like, if, if Curtis McElhaney said it, I'd actually be more. Right. Because like, McElhaney's been around the NHL forever. He's playing, he was playing well. Respected backup who everyone loved. Sparks are the best of times. It seemed like there were, you know, it seemed like he was a bit of an odd duck within the context of a hockey player in general, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, hockey players are, are not saints by any means. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, it, it read as weird in a way that it wouldn't if it came from a different part of the lineup. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, the fact remains, Wayne Simmons can say, like, look, you know, I'm... Like, I, I feel like I just want to say, like, he's a grown man. And mm-hmm. I know that, you know, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are obviously adults, too. But it's just like, he's been around. He's done it. He's paid his dues. He's done all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that matters something in terms of locker room hierarchy, if it has some utility in terms of setting standards for the Leafs. And this is, I think, first and foremost about setting standards. The Leafs have been talking about that. Like, we all need to be better. They're trying to set a high bar for fitness, for dedication, for the number of days a year that you work uh, on your game and things like that. Yeah, you know, maybe that is worth it, so... I think that's the bottom line there is that's what we paid for and we have to hope that it delivers. Right. And, you know, that's the question. Do you think paying for that stuff is worth it or not? And my my instinct says, no, and we could have done better. But again, I could very well be wrong about that. And this stuff, I, I don't believe the stuff that Simmons provides aside from his honest play is useless at all. Right. So mm. we spent a lot of time on this. Um, and I think 
I don't actually mind that because I think it is kind of important because the the thread of Simmons kind of runs through to a lot of the rest of the roster and in terms of the qualities that the Leafs have have looked to add, right? It's it's not just about on ice play, evidently, right? They're they're talking a lot about leadership, about doing things the right way, about um, you know being kind of harder and more difficult and more nasty a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think that stuff that stuff matters to some extent, and we're clearly going out of our way to try and acquire it. And right. I, I don't think that's unequivocally dumb, even if it's not what I would have done if I was Kyle Dubas. Yes. So this is probably a good space to transition to the other moves, mm-hmm. um, which we can probably take as a piece because I think they're all sort of interconnected. Yeah, sure. Uh, the first one is the Andreas Janssen trade. Andreas Janssen has been traded in theory over and over and over again for the past year or so. Usually for uh, more than what we got, but... <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I think he's a good player. He, he can is. play, you know, a third-line scoring role. He can probably jump up to the second line in a good year, unlike his most recent one, but he's good. And the reality is we needed to clear money somewhere. That was directly required by signing Brody. Like, we didn't have the cap space. And so we dealt him for Joey Anderson, uh, who I think... I mean, first of all, I had not heard of him prior to him being acquired. Nor have I. But in my theories of, like, how this trade was going to go, I kept saying, probably for about a third-round pick, because it's really hard to unload money right now. He had a big injury that took a lot of time, and he was coming off what was a down year even when healthy. Yeah. And so I was sort of like, yeah, this is about par for the course, because Joey Anderson was picked in the third round. How much you can expect from Mr. Anderson is kind of an open question. Obviously, we should be pretty cautious about that. Uh, Rachel Dory, who worked for the New Jersey Devils organization and, uh, you know, blogs and is an online presence. Uh, she talked a bit about how the Devils viewed him as sort of a versatile player, a player you win with, kind of gritty. They, you know... She used the phrase, they believed he could be a Blake Coleman type, and I feel like a ton of people ran away and said, oh my god, we got Blake Coleman. And yeah, Blake Coleman not. is his 99th percentile outcome, to be clear. Yeah, best case scenario. But, you know, it, I think he's an interesting young player. He just turned 22, and he'll be someone to keep an eye on uh, going forward. The primary point was to make a cap dump. We lost the trade on merit. But, you know, the trade was pretty obviously about we have to reallocate money from forward to defense. And we did. Yeah, so the Leafs, I guess, got a little unlucky with this, right? With the pan. I mean, there's, there's much more serious ways in which everyone got unlucky with this pandemic thing. But one of the side effects is, yeah, it's gotten a lot harder to shift off money. Mm-hmm. Um, I had said before that I think both Janssen and Kapanen were, were assets, not uh, not people you'd have to you'd have to shift an asset with in order to dump. And that's proven to be true, even in this pretty difficult time to sell. Right. Um, so yeah, like Janssen's a good player, had a down year. I think a lot of the Leafs' troubles last year can be tied to the fact that we were paying, you know, around $10 million for our third line in theory, and we didn't really get great results from them. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, the, the top lines really kind of held their end of the bargain. Goaltending was bad, uh, and... The the defense was as expected, but it's that third line that was expected to be a strength of Toronto, and it was not. Right. Johnson and Kaplan were both kind of culpable for that, um, and they've both been shipped out. We didn't get as much for Johnson as Kaplan, and that's to be expected. He's a little bit older, less to dream on, less pedigree. Um, but 
yeah, I, I don't, I can't really um, criticize Dubas too much for this move, I don't think, because I really think this move is a, okay, we're setting this guy, everyone give me your best offer. Yeah. Right, and then you just take the best one. It was a move um, of necessity. They clearly like Anderson, or at least view him as interesting. But it yeah, is what and it is. And, you know. I, I was actually quite, uh, I, I mean, like basically everyone else, I hadn't heard of Joey Anderson at all. I'm like, oh God, who the hell is this guy? This, this, mm-hmm. this trade sucks. And Katya pointed out to me, it's like, hey, this guy's actually a little bit interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of mentally lumped him in with the other 35,000 depth wingers who we have. And we, we acquired one more. So we'll talk about, that, about them shortly. <laughs> um, and Katya pointed out that there's a couple of things that are, are a bit unique about Anderson. For one, he, he's only 22. So he has some growth potential, right? He isn't, you know, Nick Patan's like 25 at this point or yeah. whatever. He's, he's older. Um, right, so he's, he's not like that. Uh, he, he's not old, right? Or not, he, you can still reasonably expect some growth from him. Um, the other thing is the way he was used in the NHL, and he doesn't have a big NHL track record. It's maybe 50 games. Um, but the way he was used was quite unusual for a young prospect because he wasn't sheltered at all. Right, he mm-hmm. was played defensively. He was played against, you know, pretty decent competition. He was not played with amazing teammates. He was played quite defensively, um, and it really seems like New Jersey, when they wanted to get a look at him, and a lot of his time was kind of in the back end of years where they realized they're not going anywhere. When they wanted to get a look at him, they started to use him in a defensive role as a defensive forward. So that separates him from some other prospects, right? Normally, the, these guys come in and they're sheltered to all hell. They're babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not really the case for Anderson at all. I've never seen him play, so I can't really comment much more other than to say that he's interesting. And he might have possibly come up on the Leafs' radar when they scouted Simmons' tape in New Jersey. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a valid point. And I think it's probably worth noting Scott Wheeler in January did his... He ranks the uh, the prospect systems of every team, but he does rankings of the players within them. Apparently, Anderson was at that point the number three prospect in the New Jersey system. Now, of course... Uh, plenty of the Devils' best players, like Jack Hughes, uh, were not eligible because they were already in the NHL. But still, I, I mean, I think it's interesting. It, it's All of this is mostly to say, hey, it's not like a complete, um, you know, write-off in terms of what we got for Andreas Janssen. It's a decline, you know? Yeah, and, and we've accepted Anderson's that. Anderson's AHL numbers are actually fairly good as well Yeah, um, for his age. Better than Janssen's at that, that same age, but obviously, um, you know, you can't, it's not like a comparison where you can say, okay, cool, he's going to have more offensive upside than Janssen, right? Like, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's some interest there, and I guess we'll see. Um, again, it, it kind of is another step in the direction of, okay, we're kind of transforming our bottom six into this hard-nosed, difficult-to-play-against, pesty, you know, annoying type of uh, bottom six that is going to be a real nightmare to play against mm-hmm. right so like the Simmons idea is, is that as well having that toughness having that uh, grit whatever and then Anderson is, is kind of similar there's there's really not much offensive upside in the Leafs bottom six anymore and we'll talk more about this later but it's shifted to be quite a bit more defensive um, Anderson is an RFA currently he's unsigned but mm-hmm. he, he's I not going to command he, anything so no exactly yeah actually maybe this is a good place to talk about Jimmy VC. Because sure. I think that he he pops up in this conversation. So Jimmy Vucey has had quite a saga. Uh, he was one of those renowned college free agents. You know, he was able to sign with any team he want because he went to college. He declined to sign with the team that drafted him, which was Nashville. Uh, the Sabres traded for his rights. And Vucey said, no, thank you. And he wound up signing <laughs> which with Which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit funny. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, us laughing at Buffalo is going to get a little bit more difficult lately, though. <laughs> the way things have gone. Yeah. In terms of us picking up their players. Anyway, BC had three uh, quite respectable, if unspectacular, scoring seasons in New York. He scored in the 10-20 range in terms of goals every year. He's a big boy. He's not really renowned for his uh, straight-ahead speed or anything like that, nor really his defense. But he can play in traffic, as the saying goes. Anyway, I was telling his chronological story, so I should add. Uh, the Rangers flipped him to Buffalo, which is kind of funny. And then after uh, a season there, he became unrestricted. And he signed with the Leafs for one year and $900,000. Obviously, the financial risk of this deal is pretty much nil to anyone except MLSE personally. But, uh, yeah, he probably provides more offense in terms of ability to put the buck in the net that compared to a lot of the bottom six brigade. And for that reason, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the inside track on the third wing left wing, third wing left wing job. He's one of those guys that um, I stated a threat and RIPM disagree with disagree on quite heavily. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. And I never know what causes that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're getting him for his defense by any means. He played with Kerfoot in college. It's probably worth noting. And they had some chemistry, apparently. Maybe we're trying to recreate that a little bit. Uh, you know, it's it's probably notable that we've seemingly contented ourselves with getting a bit slower. I mean, anytime you deal out Kasperi Kapanen, you probably get a little bit slower. But we've, we haven't prioritized guys who are burners by any means. And I wonder if that's something that we're more comfortable with as we become more of a cycle-based team under Sheldon Keefe. Right. Um, we're not we're not really that fast, especially below our top six at this point. Mm-hmm. And even, even then, you know, people talk about the Leafs being a really fast team, and I'm always like, that kind of varies. Mitch yeah. Marner, I don't think, is a burner in a straight-line sense. No, he's, he, he's extraordinarily agile. agile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John Tavares has worked very hard to improve his skating, but he's not fast. Um, you know, William Nylander is probably the exception. He's at least... You know, a very yeah, capable Ma- skater. Matthews and Nylander, I think, are... Yeah, like, and Zach, are, Zach Hyman has top speed. speed are, are reasonably good. Yeah, but, but you even, know... Nick, they're, they're not... They're certainly not, you know... You're never going to see either one of them in a fastest skater competition. No. Uh, and, you know, we've apparently decided we're okay with that. I, I, you know, I have a bias towards skating ability. It seems like something that's pretty important. But you can say Kapanen had all the skating speed in the world. And it got him to... A pretty good middle six winger but that's not you know the be all and the end all at any rate you know with vc it's a bit like okay you can't really get mad at it per se because there's no contract risk it mm-hmm. does increase a log jam of players it makes me a little bit more skeptical that nick robertson is going to start the season with the leafs I-, I feel like this is a bit of an insurance policy to like you know give a viable alternative to nick robertson yeah um, so there's a couple of things I will say for VC. He mm-hmm. gets, he takes good shots. He gets a lot of shots in tight. Like he, he's, yeah. you know. He's a power pr- forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, he's around, um, he, he gets uh, his average, like individual expected goals per 60s, like in the, in the 0.7s, high 0.7s, which is uh, quite good, right? That's, I mean, it's not like JVR territory or whatever. He's mm-hmm. around like 0.9, but it's good. It, it's like probably above average i would say mm-hmm. um it's worth it. he played most most of his career play, he was played on new york new york's just a weird team and you know you think the leafs are bad defensively holy fuck 
Yeah, New York is disastrous, and maybe poised to get... Well, I don't know if I should predict they get worse, but they're probably not getting a lot better, so... Yeah, well, the uh, other thing is with New York is that Madison Square Garden has also has one of the weirdest um, scorer bias totes in the mm-hmm, NHL, mm-hmm. where shots, like, warp to the front of the net a lot there. So I wonder if that's impacting, um, you know, this the way his numbers are viewed as well. I don't have a lot to say very confidently about VC, other than the fact that he's probably a pretty competent uh, depth guy who we're not going to be too upset about if he plays in that third line left wing role. One of the only people who actually has some offensive ability on our depth lines at this point. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting that we decided to do this, and I don't necessarily have a problem with kind of ginning up competition for depth roles. VC is coming off a pretty... Not so great season in Buffalo, obviously. Which is why we could get him for one year, 900K. Yeah. Um, the deal that he was on before, he was in the, the low 2 million range for an AD. Yeah. So obviously he's come down in the world a little bit. But again, you know... We'll probably pair a role on PP2 as well. You'd think. You know, he, I mean, him and Simmons actually seem like they might be contending for the same job. But it's also not like we're deep enough at forward at this point. Yeah, we don't have... PP2 is going to be stacked, so... Yeah, we don't have the option to have one or the other. They're both going to be on PP2. One might not be in a position they like, and let's be real, it'll be VC. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if if Wayne Simmons wants to play net front, Wayne Simmons is playing net front. Yeah, well, yeah, Wayne's the man. So, yeah, anyway, I, I mean, it's fine. It is probably good to have multiple options there, and hopefully you get someone who can score. Yeah, it doesn't I, really I change the makeup of the team or anything. No, I don't have a problem with it. No. It's, yeah, like, I think he's a reasonable player. Um, he's not going to embarrass himself if, if he's in a depth role. And we're not paying him a ton of money. So, you know, with these guys, it's, you're, you're trying to make bets about what they're going to be over the next year. And it's really, really difficult because they're all pretty close to one another in terms of overall ability. And there's so much variance here to year that, like, the variance can totally swamp the difference in ability between them. Right. So, yeah, it gets, um, I think, a fairly reasonable signing. Gives us a few more options there. It seems we are, you know, it feels like we have 35 people on our active roster. Like, I don't know how we're fitting all these people in here. Yeah, and I mean, the bottom line is we're not. Yes. And most of the calculations that we've tried to do uh, have relied on running a 20-man roster, or at most a 21, as opposed to the usual 23. It's also worth noting, we have no idea what next season is going to look like, whether there's going to be a functioning minor league, whether they're going to involve bubbles, or what it is. It may or may not get kind of easier to operate with a thin roster. It's probably worth noting. Like, if you have a taxi squad available, uh, you've basically disposed of the reason why you would need healthy scratches, right? You can just call upon one of them. And so... It will be interesting to see how that's calculated and, you know, what the league and the NHLPA come to. But we can't do more than note it. The Leafs seem content to have a lot of bodies in competition for these jobs, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, don't have a, I don't have a problem with uh, this VC deal. Yeah, uh, I, I guess we should say in passing, Travis Boyd. Neither of us knows who he is. Um, I mean, so, I, I, I did some research, by which I mean I googled his name a few times. <laughs> Um, Dom Lushishan had him in his kind of, he was on, he was an RFA who was unqualified. Yeah. And Dom Lushishan had him as like, hey, maybe some teams should, you know, take a look at him. And the crux of it, 
seem to be that he's had fine shot numbers, but he's had a ridiculously high PDO over the last few years, and it, it's largely been driven by his passing. Like, his teammates have finished at a very high percentage. Um, and Lushishin's point was, a team should, you know, just take a look and, you know, maybe he has something to offer in a bigger role. You know, he's not saying, oh, this guy's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's basically what we can say. It seems like a guy who has, you know, he's played a little bit in Washington as a depth player. Um, really, the only thing that jumps out in his, in his statistical profile is the fact that he's had a very, very high on-ice shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. I have no clue if that's him. I've never seen this man once play. Or maybe I have, but I certainly didn't notice him. So I, I really, I got nothing. He's another, he's a center. He'll compete for that fourth line center role. Uh, injury, depth, whatever, right? Like, it's yeah. nothing to say here, really. Yeah, and it's 700K. So if he's on, that's It's the literally cheapest. league, man. Yeah, yeah, so whatever. And then that brings us to the man who has size, snarl, and capacity to snap the puck around, Zach Bogosian. The Leafs signed Zach Bogosian. Uh, you might remember him as a guy who played for the Buffalo Sabres for a long stretch. He was bad at hockey, and then the Tampa Bay Lightning picked him up uh, after he left the Sabres organization. Uh, they actually mutually terminated his contract, I believe, um, if I recall that correctly. Um yeah, it was terminated in February. He signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he went on to accompany them on their cup run. He was certainly a man who <laughs> Sorry, was... Sorry, I, I just like the way accompany them, as if he was like their chauffeur. <laughs> he was present for long stretches of that. So, yeah, I mean, he played some stretches with Victor Hedman. And I got to tell you, his numbers were terrific. Um, <laughs> can't imagine why that would be. Look, this should be fine as long as the Leafs also acquire Victor Hedman. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting oh, no, for okay. stage two of the plan here, Kyle. <laughs> okay, so it's a one-year, $1 million deal. Yeah. Again, not very much money. Again, this is, to me, a sign that the Leafs wanted to add a specific brand of toughness, right? In terms yeah. of fighting, hitting, imposing physical presence, similar things that you get with Wayne Simmons. Mm-hmm. They're paying probably a bit of a premium for that in the sense that I think Bogosian's probably a league minimum player, and they're paying him a little bit more than that. Um, and to the extent that this stuff matters, that, you know, toughness, leadership, physical presence, uh, respect of, of people. You know, Bogosian's been around a long time, was a very high draft pick, um, really had some shit rosters to deal with when he was in Atlanta. Yeah. You know, he, he's been around, he has respect to people. Uh, so to the extent that that stuff matters, he has a lot of it. We could be wrong about how much that is worth. Um, if he's on the third pair and never moves off it, I will say it is, I don't know if fine is too positive a word, but it is not a massive problem. It is tolerable. Yes. Yeah. And this uh, is where you have to trust Keith and Dubas to some extent. Like, look, they signed him for $1 million. They're, they're probably not going to play him in the top four. Right. We hope. Right? Yeah. Like that, that's in, in, in a top four role, he is going to be overmatched. And yes, he had reasonable results with Victor Hedman. I Like... We don't have Victor Hedman. That's the point. We have Morgan Riley. <laughs> Morgan Riley is not Victor Hedman. Jake no. Muzzin is not Victor Hedman. No, they are right? not. They are very good players. They are not Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. And Tampa has done this many times before, right? They've gotten yeah. Dan Girardi. Uh, they played him with Victor Hedman. He was fine because he's Victor Hedman. Yeah. He's right? probably so, the best defenseman in the world for my money. So. Yeah, he, he, like, he is certainly up there. So, mm-hmm. look, 
these guys, I think we progressed too far as a community to just laugh at like, oh, you know, this guy who has bad defensive numbers on a bad defensive team sucks and he's a complete ECHL quality player and he can never do anything in the NHL. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Right? People can, like, these fringe NHL players can survive in the right situation. They absolutely can. Bogosian just showed that in um, in Tampa. We've seen it, you know, many times before. Cody Cece survived in Toronto being way overplayed. If Cody Cece was on the third pair, he would yeah. have been basically our Zach Bogosian, mm-hmm. right? Or if he was playing with a player much better than um, Morgan Riley, he would have been our Zach Bogosian. And when Bogosian did play with um, Hedman uh, when a little bit, but he wasn't playing like top pair minutes, right? Like I mean, we should yeah. be clear about that. No, I, I mean, I don't think anyone's under massive delusions as to what kind of player, what caliber of player Zach Bogosian is at this point. Like, nobody thinks that he's a first-pair guy. Yeah. Um, and those are famous last words from a team that just played Cody CC on the top pair for much of last season. But, yeah, I, I don't... It's worth saying in the regular season, Bogosian didn't play at all with Hedman. He played with Coburn and Sergachev on, you know, shelter third pairs, more or less. Right. But in the playoffs, he did play a little bit with Hedman. Um but yeah, like it's he he is a depth guy. If we use him only as a depth guy, it is not a massive deal because those guys are all fairly similar. Yes, it probably is worth noting one consequence of this, which is that the Leafs have one hell of a logjam at the bottom of their defense. They really do. Yeah, it, it's it's like you know you have the top. Okay, so you have the top three for mm-hmm. sure, right? You have. Uh, Riley, Brody, Muzzin, yeah. right? They're they're in the lineup. They're one, two, three in some order. Mm-hmm. You have Hall, who is paid two million. He's kind of the only intermediate guy mm-hmm. in terms of his salary, in terms of where he was played last year. And then you have like thirty thousand other guys. You have Marinson, you have Rosen, you have Sandine, you have Liljegren, you have Bogosian. Who am I forgetting? Travis Dermott. Travis Dermott. <laughs> yeah, Travis Dermott. <laughs> yeah, right. and so that's like that's a lot of bodies for three ish jobs. And again, for two you know, jobs, been... really, because like, we assume Hall is going to, um, we assume Hall is going to, you know, actually be in yeah. the NHL. I'm including a seventh defenseman on the assumption that we maybe can run a 21 man, but yeah, like on a given night, it's it's two jobs. And so, for one thing, this kind of suggests that either we have another move coming, and I kind of expect that we probably do, just because it seems like a lot. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, Kyle Dubas has already been saying he expects Travis Dermott to play right side, which suggests... doesn't really answer the question either, though. Because Bogosian's right-sided, isn't he? Yeah, he is. No, I'm just saying, if you're playing him right side, presumably your right side as is is kind of spoken for with Brody, Hall, and then I guess we're we're not even considering Lilligan right now. Mm. Um, I, I guess they think he needs more time to cook, which is fine. But even then, you know, who do you have on the left side? Well, you have one of those names that we mentioned. But there are still too many guys for too few chairs. And it sort of sounds like maybe Justin Hall would be the odd man out. But it's, it just seems so odd to me where it's like, look, I'm not a huge Justin Hall fan, but he's a success for the front office in, by any mean, by any sense, right? Like, yeah. he was acquired for, for nothing, and he's come in, and he's done a job in the NHL. Yeah. And Muzzin Hall has worked. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I think Steve Dangle years ago had the term competent bum for just, like, the, mm-hmm. these random guys 
who who come and they do fine enough, and that's what Hall is, right? Yeah. And for a team that, you know, still their defense core is not among the very best in the league, I don't see why you would voluntarily get rid of a guy who's making probably a fair amount of money um, and is one of the few guys who you can point to and say, okay, yeah, like we, we can be reasonably sure that this guy will not fall on his ass when played with Jake Muzzin in a somewhat important role. Yeah. It's worth noting that probably on the most glaring goal of the Columbus series, Justin Hall made a very dubious decision as to when to go for a line change, but that's an aside. I mean, by that logic, we should be trading Austin Matthews too. Yeah. And, you know, you do not want to big mistake him. But, uh, God, I hope that wasn't determining. You know who we didn't even mention? It's Miko Letnin. Yes. Yeah. And he, he has to be there too. Yeah. Like, presumably, like he's, he's we not... called him over for a reason. He's yeah. doing quite well in the K. This is a lot of bodies, and this is why we keep thinking, okay, Cal Dupas probably isn't done here because he's not demoting all of these guys to the AHL, is he? We also we also haven't had and it's very unclear what the AHL is going to be. You mentioned that before, but like mm-hmm. you know, we're both kind of skeptical of the NHL having a Jan one operating date and running as normal without there being massive issues, right? And we were skeptical yeah. of the bubble, we were wrong about that. But you know, we've seen from other sports, um, baseball and football in North America, European soccer. It's very, very hard to run a normal season while a pandemic is happening because players get sick and you're right. traveling. You're inherently, you know, having a lot of, of contacts. And in Europe, it, you'd think it'd be easier because a lot of these countries are small enough that you don't have to fly everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. So that seems like a real problem, even for the NHL. I have no clue how the AHL is going to work. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely none. That seems insane. Um, yeah. And the Leafs haven't really figured out loans for any of these players. They're not shipping any of them off to Europe right now to find them a place to play. So it's, yeah. they're all, you know, conceivably in the mix. It's really, really unclear. We have to, well, we don't have to get rid of this logjam somehow. You can demote all, you know, you can play whichever six or seven you want and you demote the rest of the AHL and, you know, they play or they don't play, but they're not really a concern for the NHL team at that point. Um, but it's still a little weird, right? Because... Dubis and the front office, I think, have been very intentional, generally speaking, about how they try and manage the back end of their roster and their depth and all that sort of thing. And this seems almost haphazard, which leads me to believe, as you said, there has to be something else coming. Now, what wouldn't that be? It, we know it's hard to get rid of money right now. It's hard to get rid of players right now because unless a team wants to play a guy, they don't want to absorb him. What's the point? Mm-hmm. So... Like, how are you getting rid of half these guys? I don't know. So maybe the answer is just bury however many you want in the AHL, and that's it. Yeah. And, you know, you can demote Sandine, Lilligren, and Lettinen uh, without exposing them to waivers. But Probably lose a fair bit of face with Lettinen. Yeah. I don't think we called him over, as Katja has been saying, to cool his heels down in the minors. Like, he's expecting to come over here and play. So, yeah. His logic is, like, I'm, I'm... the best or one of the best defensemen in the second best league in the world, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, like, fuck you if you're going to put me in the AHL. I'm playing in the NHL. Yeah, and so right there, you, you start having a lot of bodies. Obviously, Callie Rosen doesn't have to be in the NHL and probably won't be, but you do think that there probably is something else coming, and then you wonder, okay, if there's something else coming, is it just disposing of players for picks or something like that? Or are we still going to try to make one more acquisition? I know a lot of people have their hearts set on Mackenzie Weger, who plays for the Florida Panthers. and Who that... might be acquiring Nate Schmidt, which, you know, maybe gives them some uh, reason to deal out of Weger. 
Yeah, and so I don't know about that, but, you know, there are so many moving parts here. And, and again, Kyle Dubas has done some things this offseason that have surprised us a little bit, so it could be some other thing that we aren't contemplating at all, but it mm -hmm. looks like he's built a logjam for himself a little bit, Right, and maybe Myrtle he's okay also, with that. Myrtle also reported that we're kicking the tires on Lucas Walmark, who is um, played in Carolina and Florida. It seems mm -hmm. like we're targeting a lot of people. Or, like, we, you and I have also discussed a lot of people who ended up going to Florida or have played in Florida or, you know, Florida's very present in this podcast in a way that they're usually not. Yeah, well, Bill um, Zito, since he took over, has been active and has made several moves that I found pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm used to Dale Talon turning that team into a punchline, yeah, and they're uh, still bad, but... Unfortunately, none of Zito's moves have involved getting rid of his Orgay Bobrovsky's contract. <laughs> yes. Uh, some of those moves would require a time machine, and unfortunately, he does not have one, so... yeah. So, Walmark, yeah. interest, he's an interesting guy, uh, kind of a depth, uh, another depth forward, played in Carolina, so I assume he's good at play driving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to be, or they, they, yeah. I hope they shoot you, don't Well, they? no, they, they did trade him, so maybe he wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, he, he was not with the program. But they traded him for Trocek, didn't they? You know what, they did, yeah, and part of that weird deal, which, I, you know, I thought that was uh, skewed in favor of Carolina, for sure. So. Well, yeah, because Trocek seems good, right? And, mm hmm I mean, Walmart is, Walmart's fine. I'm, I'm looking at his numbers now. They, they seem fine. Seems like a fine depth guy. Um, and we're reportedly kicking the tires on him. But I think he would cost... Like, we have no money right now, right? Like, he would cost enough that we have to either dump Kerfoot, Engvall, or Hall, I think. Because they're the only ones who make any money who we haven't just acquired. Yeah, although, you know what? The longer anyone stays off the market... The, the more, more cool, I wonder what yeah. the prices are going to look like. Now, Matthias Janmark, who we were associated with, he just signed for over $2 million. Oh, did he? So, okay. Yeah. But uh, distinct from Walmart, lots of marks today. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm wondering as we get into week two, week three, sometimes that's where you see the, the best value deals right. in free agency, and right. maybe the more so now. And this goes to the point that we were making earlier, where, you know, you can't build an entire team out of high... Uh, dollars per win players because they're often you know these guys who you sign in the third week of free agency for 900k who play like a decent third liner mm -hmm. right and building an entire team out of them would be um i'm sure you dean melnick's wet dream but <laughs> th that there's not enough wins there yeah and so yeah I, i'll be curious to see what becomes again the defining move of this offseason is probably the tj brody contract absolutely no that that's definitely the biggest and most important yeah, and, and the, a lot of this stuff is interesting. We only spent 20 minutes on Brody, and we spent, you know, an hour on everything else. <laughs> Brody's by far the most significant, and the reason we probably didn't spend as much time on it is because the answer seems kind of plain. It's like, okay, yeah, this is like probably the best we could do, and it's, yeah. it's a reasonable bet, and yeah, good job, right? Yeah. The other ones are more interesting because they, I guess, speak more toward the possible diverging schools of thought about how to build out the rest of the roster. Mm-hmm. Right, but I think everyone agrees that, yeah, the Leafs need a defenseman. Yeah, uh, that was apparent to all persons. And so we said Kyle Dubas had to do something else, and he did it. Uh, this team, as constituted, I think is slightly better than last year's version, although the biggest difference between this year and last year will be if our goaltending looks more like NHL goaltending and less like Swiss cheese. Right, there's the, there's a few cases, <clears throat> few cases for optimism for the Leafs. And the first mm -hmm. is... If they get league average goaltending, that's probably like six points right there. Yeah. Um, it's right? remarkable how bad our backup goaltending was pre-Campbell, just because Michael Hutchinson wasn't up to it anymore, and that's how it is. But 
there's actually a difference between just being kind of meh and being really, really bad. And Michael Hutchinson kind of explored it. So... <laughs> right. And then Freddy, obviously, you know, we've talked ad nauseum yeah. that he had a pretty poor year. Mm-hmm. If yeah, he returns so. to usual Freddy, which is actually, you know, fairly above average. Yeah. Uh, when you account for shot quality, we're in a much better spot. Injury luck was really, really um, hurtful to us last year. Mm-hmm. And you would think, you know, hopefully that's better this year. Now, we might replace injury luck with pandemic luck in this case. Uh, yeah, and then God help us all. It's a, a roulette wheel to be sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, you can look at this all and say the Leafs got probably a little weaker on the third line, although the third line didn't deliver that much last year. But they got stronger in their top four. That probably nets out to a better roster. I have to say... Right now, I think the class of the NHL is in some order, but probably this order, Tampa Bay, Boston, uh, Colorado, and Vegas. I think those are the four best teams. I don't think the Leafs are as good as those four. I would hear arguments for where they should rank in the next kind of bracket, which is maybe 5th to 12th. There are a lot of teams in there. And you can say, hey, you know, you're putting Dallas in that bracket, and they just made the finals. And so the Leafs are probably a good team that I could see maybe doing something. They have to get better than I am projecting now to be a real top-shelf contender. Right. Like We're hurt in some sense by the fact that we have a very tough road. Right. Yep. Boston and Tampa Bay are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both very, very good teams. Boston arguably got better by signing Craig Smith. Tampa Bay is figuring out. I will out. say Boston did lose Tory Krug and possibly yes. Zidane Chara, but yeah. But the uh, so I I know I know Krug is a great power play guy, and I think he he's a power play guy who isn't just the product of the forwards. But I also think you can replace him with a lot of players, and you know Marsha and Bergeron and Pasternak are the guys who I'm really worried about there. I, I'm not yeah. looking at that Boston power play. And it's like, fuck! I really got to stop Tory Krug. <laughs> <laughs> got a game plan for Tory Krug. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, the other thing is that Bergeron is 35, just, right? But And maybe this is... We've talked about this a lot. I don't think it's that hard to be a decent power play quarterback in the NHL. I think there are a lot of players who are capable of it. Yeah. Not in the sense that I couldn't do it, obviously. But I think there are a lot of players who can do a reasonable job there. Yeah, probably. Um, so, you know, I, I guess, you know, this is a, a bit of a downer note but it probably is a little unfortunate that we don't look like we've really taken that big step we've been talking about this for three or four years now and so you can hope you can hope that you know wayne simmons and zach bogosian really do provide some sort of intangible missing ingredient and this team will just play better i don't like to count on that but you can certainly imagine it and you can say that yeah we're a good team like yeah. We're a good team. We're better than we were last year. I, I, I do think that's the case. And I mean, one thing that's interesting is I think we're better than last year in large part because, as we said, we got very little out of our third line last year. Now, if we had just kept that third line, I think we would have gotten more out of them because I don't think they were as bad as they showed last year. Right. Janssen and Kapanen specifically. Um, but the reality is, Nick, as you said, we've downgraded really our third line in order to beef up our top four mm-hmm. uh, defense, really our top pair defense. And even in the abstract, that's probably a bet worth making because, you know, we were playing a replacement-level player or someone who played like a replacement-level player as our one right D last year. Yeah. And, you know, now we're not. Uh, that's a really, really big gain 
in a lineup spot that's quite important. And the downgrade from the third line is, is not as large because they simply don't play as much. And also because, you know, it, it's an open question whether we actually downgrade in terms of the play we got last year versus the play we can expect this year. Right? We yes. downgraded in theory, but those guys weren't very good last year. So it's possible that that downgrade isn't really that much of a downgrade. Mm-hmm. Right? I would have felt better about that if we signed you know, the guys that I wanted, but I'm sure Kyle Dubas feels better about the guys that he wanted, right? Yeah. So, so that's, that's the way it is, right? I'm not, I'm not going to, like, go insane about, you know, the specific depth guys. It, it, I don't think we handle that perfectly, but I don't expect, you know, everyone has different ideas on how, how to build that out, and I don't think well, anything we did was completely indefensible. Yeah, so uh, that's probably where we come to on that. Uh, we do want to talk briefly about the, the entry draft, which happened what seems like years ago, but was actually just like a week ago. I actually do want to say one th- more thing about yep, the, sorry, go ahead. the lineup construction. And we talked about this before. I mentioned it before, but this really bears repeating because this is how we are built now. We are a top six, bottom 16. Yes. There is very little offense outside of our top six. Very, very little. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe Nick Robertson provides some. Uh, maybe Jimmy VC provides a little bit. Uh, certainly, you know, you have guys like Jason Spezza, who, who's good offensively, and I don't want to get into the trap where I say, like, oh, these depth guys aren't very good. It's like, well, yeah, no shit, they're depth guys. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm speaking in comparison, really, to what we had in the past, right, where the Leafs' um, way of winning, when they had Kadri, for example, was our third line is going to beat the shit out of your third line. Yeah. Right, and our top lines are very, very good, and we are going to overwhelm you with that depth of forwards. And... Now, that's not the case. Like, last year, that was still probably what we were trying to do to some extent, right? We had Janssen and Kapanen on the third line. Those, they're, in theory, much better third liners than you have on an average team. Didn't end up working out that way. Mm-hmm. But this year, we have a third line that is, you know, like Boston's third line, right? Like, you know, Dallas's third line, right? Even worse, I would say, than Dallas's third line. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, they have Rupe Hintz and Radek Faxa uh, as their third and fourth line centers. But yeah, like we're more traditionally constructed now, I would say, right? And that goes along with what we were saying, where we, we downgraded from forward to upgrade at defense to have a more egalitarian split. Yes. And hopefully that's beneficial. I, I mean, I think a lot of the fans, especially on the bleeding edge of progressive hockey circles, kind of hoped that Kyle Dubas was going to come in and really reinvent everything. You know, there, like, there was a hope that we would break a lot of those old tried-and-true aphorisms about how you have to build a hockey team and how you have to play. And as we were saying earlier, it's not like he's sold out on skill by any means, and this will come up with the draft too, but this is a move to a more conventional team. Uh, I hope, coincidentally, you know, I think we can believe that it's a move to a better team also. But if there's a bit of a, a muted tone to the joy about this, it's because, you know, we tried a version of the all-out offense rules everything, and it didn't really work. It didn't get us as far as we wanted. And so now this is a transition to a different kind of team, albeit around the same core. Yep, absolutely. Okay, okay so, yeah, let's talk about the draft. Sorry the draft. for that digression. No problem at all. So the Toronto Maple Leafs had a first-round pick, thanks to the Casperi Kapanen trade. They gave up their own first-round pick way back when to dispose of the Patrick Marlowe contract. Uh, obviously, the only guy that we really knew much about 
that the Leafs picked was Rodian Amarov. You were keen on him before the draft. Yeah, um, I mean, I'd say it's less me being keen and more me listening to other people who are keen. Yes, but that's what we do. And so we didn't get kind of one of those home run fallers, you know, that there's always someone who's initially projected quite high and then they drop a few spots. Uh, Timothy Liljegren was that guy once upon a time. We were kind of hoping for Anton Lundell. That didn't happen. He was off the board. From what we know, Amarov looks like the best player that was available at 15th overall. He's not a huge player, but he's not small either. There's some debate as to how big he really is. Uh, the Leafs say that he's 6'1 and 180. These numbers are always, to some extent, lies, but whatever. He's rumored I, I, to be... I like, I like the idea that he's like some sort of weird particle that changes in size depending on how you, <laughs> the state you observe him in. Schrodinger's winger. Uh, yeah, so whatever. But he's supposedly kind of a versatile, complete adaptable winger. That's good. You know, the Leafs like players who can play at any level of the lineup, and obviously that's good. You know, he's not a seemingly top line or bust kind of guy. If he doesn't make it to the, the highest level, he'll still be a useful player. He seems to be pretty engaged defensively, and he has a notable amount of skill. Uh, he made a nice little sort of soccer grab in a highlight that I saw, and because one highlight obviously proves everything, he's probably the most skilled player in the NHL now. But um, Literally yeah. Leo Messi. Yeah. Uh, makes Leo Messi look like a bit of a joke. So, yeah, I think... I'm pretty content with betting on skill. A lot of people said the Leafs should prick a defenseman. I feel like, you know, the, the draft for need thing is dumb for a lot of reasons, but obviously it's because even at this level of the draft, you don't expect a guy in the NHL for probably two or three years. Amaroff maybe could do it in one, uh, given that, you know, he's now playing in the KHL uh, in a very weird season where admittedly a lot of the, the rosters are promoted because of COVID. But I like the pick a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, so, yeah, I feel like this year is going to be a bit weird for those um, projection models that look at historical comparables because the KHL right now and European leagues in general are going to be weird. As you said, they're a lot younger this year because, you know, teams are occasionally infected by COVID. Um, but, you know, it says something that Amirov's in the KHL playing a pretty big role at, you know, such a young age. Um, his team is one of the teams that has some infections, I believe. And mm. as they come back, he will, like he's basically playing top line for them right now. And as they come back, he will fit more into a depth role, which is you know what still very solid for someone in their draft plus one year. The one thing I've heard about uh, Amirov or Amirov is that he ha he's a good transition player, mm -hmm. right? He's he's good with the puck on a stick. Doesn't have you know elite level skill the way someone like say William Nylander does. Right, but if he can become kind of a, a guy who, whose primary um, use to an NHL team is driving play, pushing play in the right direction, gaining the zone, and having you know a little bit of skill to to make hay when he's there, then I think that's you know that's a great uh, outcome. Yeah. Obviously, things are very uncertain, so we don't really know. I'm not an expert on him as a prospect. I've, I watched one game of his uh, in the KHL after we drafted him. He looked solid. Didn't look out of place. Made a couple of nice plays. Wasn't dominant or anything. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah I mean I I I preferred given who was on the board this is who I preferred yeah um so I really can't complain about it at all 
Yeah, no, I'm good. It's probably worth noting the Leafs have said that in their eyes, he was one of the best skaters in the draft. You know, I talked about how the Leafs at the NHL level have gotten maybe a bit slower, at least in some of their complimentary roles. But Amaroff is considered a good skater. And the Leafs yeah. eyes a very good skater. I, I've seen I've seen some, like, I guess, conflicting reports about his skating where some people say, like, okay, yeah, he's a good skater. Some people are like, oh, he's an excellent skater. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, okay, sure, cool. What, like, whatever. He, he, he can skate. He, it is not a huge problem. That's all, that's all I'll confidently say. Yeah. Uh, you know, when people are evaluating skating, it can be tough. You know, some people are talking about top speed. Some people are talking about edge work. Some people are experts on the mechanical nature of skating, and they'll look at the stride, and they'll say, actually, you know, his mechanics are quite solid or they're quite bad, and this will be something he can build on. Right, right. There was a kerfuffle, I think. Not a kerfuffle, but, like, I think Reese Jessup, who is um, a scout, used to work mm-hmm. for the Panthers, recently said that, like, Elias Pettersson is not a very technically good skater. Yeah, apparently right. his, the mechanics of his skating are considered, like, quite bad. Right, like, it, it seems to work for him, but still. Yeah, and I'll defer to Jessup there, because I, I know really nothing about the mechanics of skating. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, certainly Patterson, when he's on the ice, he, he moves around a fair bit. He gets to where he wants to go. It's certainly not a detractor for him. Um, so, you know, it, it goes to show, I guess, that there, there are varying, I guess, different levels and different ways in which you can view skating, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's, you know, on the technical side or whether it impacts someone, how projectable it is as they, you know, build muscle. Because these are just kids right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... You know, one of those interesting things that it's, it's, I guess, in the eye of the beholder to some extent. Yeah. So I, I guess the bottom line on Amarov is that he seems like he can skate. He is reasonably skilled. He's pretty versatile. Uh, I like the look of him. I think he's going to be an NHLer of some description. I don't have a board for the draft because obviously I don't know anything about it other than what I hear from people. But before the pick was made, he was honestly the guy that I wanted out of who was left. Uh, him or Connor Zeri, and so I'm content. Um, and then, you know, throughout the rest of the draft, there was all that stuff about we talked about, about, you know, the Leafs getting bigger and tougher, but I think Kyle Dubas has made pretty clear that he wants to address that maybe through free agency and complimentary moves and stuff like that, because his drafting is still, it looks to be premised on the idea that little players get undervalued. Right, um, this is something, yeah. and this is what you addressed kind of in your in your glorious defense for Kyle Dubas of, you know, yeah. he's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to uh, the, the team philosophy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the second round pick was Ronnie Herbonen, who is a five foot nine center. You know, he's, <laughs> he's almost a stereotypical Leafs pick. You wonder if he'll be a center at higher levels, but people are pretty quick to write that off now. And I keep thinking, hey, do you remember Braden Point? So never say for sure. But he's, you know, a high-skill, smaller player. There were a lot of those. Um, the pick after Amaroff that most excited me was probably Topi Nimala, who went 64th overall. He seems like just like the epitome of the modern defenseman. You know, he's not huge, but he's a great skater. He's agile. is apparently very good in transition at, you know, managing his gaps. All of those beautiful things that we like to talk about. And so... I think that's interesting. Beyond that, I mean, it's a million guys I've never heard of. It's still a Kyle Dubas draft. Lots of guys with high IQ uh, or reputed to be. Lots of guys who are not necessarily very big. They were all under six feet again, except the goalie 
Akhtiamov and William Villeneuve. And then, like, there were a bunch of guys who were, like, 5'9". So, yeah. I mean, he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. So, uh, Villeneuve is, is a guy who... I remember Briggs do profiled him for the site. Um, mm. And it's like, you look at the numbers, and it's like, oh, wow, this guy seems really good. Right? A ton of points, and he's not incredibly small. I think he's he's the tallest of our draft picks, isn't he? Yes, he's 6'2". But then pe- people are like, yeah, he basically has cinder blocks for feet. Yeah, it's interesting, because apparently, speaking of technique and skating, his is gross. By all accounts, people look at him, and they're like, oh, my God, this is awful. And then some people say, well... It's not as bad as maybe it looks, because he still kind of moves around. Um, it was interesting because online, you had Scott Wheeler and uh, J.D. Burke. So Scott Wheeler is prospects for the Athletic, J.D. Burke is prospects for Elite Prospects, and they disagreed quite strongly on whether or not William was good defensively. Uh, Scott said Wheeler... Scott Wheeler said that his defense is a strength for him. Burke said his defense is a tire fire. And while different scouts will say different things, and that gets more prevalent as you go further down the list, and it's people who have been less viewed, maybe, it was still a pretty strong disagreement in terms of how good he is, really. Right. It's interesting. He's, he seems like an interesting project. And in the fourth round, absolutely take guys where it's like, okay, we have to fix this one thing, but there's a chance of something... Pretty yeah, cool. there's there's no perfect prospect at you know in the fourth round. No, absolutely. Um, the one thing I'll say is, and this is something Justin Bourne mentioned, and I agree with him on this. Where I think people are too cavalier about, oh, if he can just fix the skating. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, that's, that's the a, trick. <laughs> that's a major major issue. The, the thing is, hockey is, you know, I, I, so I've I've learned how to play hockey relatively late in my life. Like I I played it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I played it. My parents told me this. I played it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And all I did was sit on the ice and cry. Oh, well. So I was a lot like Brad Marchand, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I don't remember that. But I started picking it up um, when I got to university. Right? Mm-hmm. I started, I guess, like, I knew how to skate, but I wasn't very good at it. So I started, you know, actually taking lessons in skating and all that sort of thing. And then trying to play pickup hockey and shinny and all that stuff. Yeah. And hockey is a very weird sport in that you have to learn basically an entirely separate sport and then you start playing hockey. Yeah. Like, like the first step is, okay, master this weird way of moving around. Okay, cool. You're like not terrible at that now. Now you're actually going to play a sport. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have to get to the point where all that moving around and all those transitions and pivots and, cr- and crossovers and edge work is completely second nature. Where it's just like, you know, when you're playing basketball or whatever, you're not thinking, okay, I'm going to change direction in here. Right? You just mm-hmm. do it. So that has to be second nature. And then you have to play the sport. And when you have to rebuild the mechanics of how you move around, that is really, really difficult. That's really hard to do. And yeah. not everyone can do it. And, you know, sometimes your body develops specific patterns, specific compensation patterns because of just the way it is. And you can't necessarily change that. And, you know, those compensation patterns may be helping or hindering you. And, but there, there might not be a way around it, right? So it's really, you know, there's kind of this um, trivial triviality to which a lot of these fans say, okay, yeah, Barb will work that out. It's like, you know, she's a skating coach. She's not God. Yeah, yeah, Right. Absolutely. Like there, there are limits to what she can do. She can refine technique, but so much of that is muscle memory. These guys have been playing hockey for 12, 13 years, most of them. 
Yeah. Right. You, it, you, it's hard to build up from ground zero again, especially while you're continuing to play hockey regularly and you still have to perform in each of the, the leagues until you get called up to the NHL. For sure. Like you don't always have all the time in the world to be bad while you work something else out, because that's also the time where you're hopefully trying to earn promotions. Um, you know, if we're doing personal anecdotes, I actually played a ton of hockey, not well, but uh, I was always a brutal skater. Despite doing a hell of a lot of it, you know, in grade 12, I played four times a week and I was actually pretty decent at other aspects of the game, but my skating was so bad. I was never more than like a third liner on my high school team just because it was terrible. And so I sort of find myself thinking that skating is critically important because if you have that, it seems like you should be able to pick up a lot of other stuff. And so, yeah. Now, all of that said, every now and then one of these guys gets a lot better. And by all means, roll the dice on someone in the fourth round who has an outside chance of being something special. Um, you know, a lot of the logic of the Kyle Dubas drafts still holds up. You know, again, skilled guys, small guys, guys with kind of that home run potential, high hockey IQ. Um, it's worth noting they also picked uh, VT Mietinen. Uh, I apologize to the whole nation of Finland if I've mispronounced that. But he's apparently like tiny. Like one of the smallest players in the draft. Um, similarly for Joe Miller who we picked, who's a high school senior and he's very, very tiny. So it's not like we've compromised the whole ideal of how do we build the team. Cal Dubas is still trying to bet on skill and hockey intelligence and building around them and supplementing them with, I guess, guys like Wayne Simmons and Zach Bogosian. And so we'll see if that gets us somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss with respect to the draft? Uh, no, nothing comes to mind. I mean, I, I didn't know most of these people before. So. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> th this, this is not the podcast if you want a really detailed draft recap. Um, we, we don't have that expertise. Yes. So we apologize for that, but, you know, we will keep an eye on these players going forward and several of them will be incorporated in future editions of the top 25, under 25 that we do. And so, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yep. All right, cool. So this was um, a long pod, but obviously we had a lot to discuss. So if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Uh, <laughs> we will, for the next little bit, I guess we'll probably do podcasts as and when is necessary. Um, depending on, you know, what the moves at least make. As we said, we both expect them to do something at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I guess, pending how the schedule for, you know, the NHL restart, will um, start ramping up back towards our weekly schedule when that starts to happen. Um, mm -hmm. So until next time, uh, thank you all for listening. You can catch all of our work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RVNATFuleman. We will see you next time. Thank you.